0: Hi everyone. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual.
1: I'm David Campbell.
0: And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM.
1: Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Uh
0: Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Brewing with Bim. As always, I'm Joe Whitney. With me today is Dave Campbell. What's up, Dave? Hey, not much, Joe. You know, thanks and again for having me, permanent <laughs> co-host. Uh, yeah. And uh, we've got a treat for everybody today. We have, uh, I guess, kind of longtime acquaintance, uh, Britton Langdon. What's up, yeah. Britton?
2: Hey, how's it going, guys? It's
0: going well. Going well. Uh, sure yeah. You had me on. Oh, no problem. This has been a long time coming, man. Like absolutely I've been a big fan of m suite for probably two years now uh that's probably how long we've been yeah. at least conversing and then um every time at you, i always run over to your booth a few times um but before we jump so, into it i gotta ask you guys i think
1: i i just want to like kind of push on this for a second but i think it's perfect like we have you kind of right where we are right in, in this kind of uh timeline of episodes. Last episode, you know, we talked to Josh Bone and we were talking about construction and coordinating BIM with construction. And I mean, M-Suite in that sense is huge. That's what you guys are doing. Like really, yeah. you're, you know, we we talk about add-ins a lot for the current technology, you know, workarounds. And a lot, we have a lot of workarounds in our industry that as a designer, as a contractor, you're just kind of used to doing that, right? And some things take ridiculously long times where you have these add-ins like M-Suite that can not only like push your help push your timeline you know what i mean like help actually boost the spooling and things like that but you're also connecting to construction in the sense like fabrication and like just really tying everything together dude i mean i see on your guys' website you have a shout out from katera and you know modular and fabrication construction being the kind of i don't want to say a buzzword right now but it's popular right now in our industry it's huge And we're seeing this big push towards that because of, you know, we talked about it last episode, controlling factors, like with fabrication, being in a warehouse, having less people on site, like the safety issues are kind of lessened from this. And I think, you know, man, it was it's awesome to have you on. I'm so excited to talk to you. And I think it's a huge kind of value add for any of our listeners for you to be here and kind of, you know, help guide us through what you guys do and how it works.
2: No, I I appreciate that. And and thanks for the sentiments. Yeah, I mean, it's. It's a crazy time right now with with everything happening, and and uh, with Josh being on, it is kind of a nice little segue into what okay. we're doing. We've been we've been close for a long time, and and we work together uh, on a lot of different things. But you know, our entree into the electrical side is is largely because of his you know kind words over there, and and what we're doing to help facilitate this workflow on on their side of things. But you're exactly right. I mean, our our whole focus is around. Simplifying the work flow from BIM to fab to field and connecting them in ways that, frankly, no one's connected at this point. So mm-hmm. we're we're really excited about that and about the future of what we're doing.
1: Heck yeah, man! Well, I'm excited to get into this with you. But before we do, I know I'm taking Joey's line here, but uh, you know we'll start with we'll start with Joey. Actually, Joey, what are you drinking?
0: Ah, oh, dude, I already told you this is unimpressive. I'm drinking ice water. Wah,
2: wah, wah. Yeah. But you know what? Hey,
0: You're on baby watch. I'm know. on baby watch, right? Yeah. I've
2: got yeah. He's doing years. the responsible thing. He can't just yeah. be all loaded up on IPAs, headed to the, the hospital. To the
1: hospital. <laughs> she, babe, you got to drive. <laughs> I
2: can't. <laughs> I will tell you a story, though. My father-in-law is going to shoot me for this. But when my wife was born, uh, this is you know a different time. He was actually at a, uh, a tax day party. My wife was born on tax day. Uh, and he was at a tax day party with a whole bunch of people, and and my wife's cousin actually had to drive him to the hospital because he could not drive. <laughs> so uh, different times, but man, you can do that. Although you, it sounds like you live a little bit further away from the hospital than that.
0: Yeah, like thirty minutes, and and I'm used to it, honestly. Uh, missing out and drinking at fun occasions. My firstborn was born on Super Bowl Sunday. That was a sober day. Yeah. uh And then my second born was born on New Year's Eve. Another oh, sobering day. Nice.
2: Man, yeah. Well, number three sounds like maybe born on Thanksgiving. So <laughs> there we yeah. Know. Yeah. just yeah. go three for three. Yeah. <laughs> All All in a row, yeah. What are, you, what are you drinking over there, Britton? I'm drinking a little hazy IPA. Contact Haze from Elysian. Ooh, yeah, that's one of my favorites, dude. Elysian makes some really good beer. Um, Legion and, and, uh, I got to give a shout out. My COO, Benny Beltrotsky hooked me up on this, uh, a couple months ago when he was in town, he was actually doing a, uh, the, uh, the, um, construction dorks podcast on co They were, had a beer and he's like, you got to try this. And I said, all right. So I did. And I loved it. So I kept it around the office.
1: Heck yeah. Heck yeah, man. I have a couple different things, uh, today actually, um, let me see if I can turn my mic up here. Is that a little bit better? Yeah. Sure. All right. Cool. Um. So I I went to the liquor store today and I'm like, man, what am I gonna get for this episode? And you know, I, I've I've started realizing that uh, I gotta have some drinking whiskey and some sipping whiskey, right? You know, the kind. Of, I, Cause I mean, I'm not I'm I'm not an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic, kind of. I mean, I, it's bad when you put a label on it, right? But I mean, I like to have. Don't label drink-
0: me. Exactly. No, no, you man. like alcohol. Let's just I leave do it at that.
1: I do. I, I have a drink, you know, with dinner or before bed, you know, I'll kind of have a drink and um, do
0: t- 9 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, 9 a.m.,
1: okay. you know, it, Saturdays, you know, Saturdays beer. are for the boys. <laughs> but uh, no, today I was looking around and I saw this in the store. I don't know if you guys can read it, but it, it's the 2020 Survival Kit. Oh, wow. <laughs> the air had- <laughs> whiskey. I love yeah. it. Red, I've never tried it yet. And um, they got a bottle of the Redneck Riviera whiskey and then the Granny Rich Reserve. Uh, so overall, I mean, it's got two bottles of whiskey in there and they partner with uh, the Folds of Honor. So.
2: Oh, that's
1: great. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm, I'm a big, big um, supporter of Folds of Honor. Any veteran organization that I can, um, I definitely want to you know, support them as much as I can. And then, of course, I had to get a little bitty bottle of Basil
2: Hayden's, you mm-hmm. know. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm an Eagle I, Rare guy myself. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of difference, uh, there's a difference in opinion for the people out there that, you know, the, the corn whiskey or, or corn bourbon or the wheat bourbon. And, uh, if you ever figure out like which one you like more, you'll end up figuring out that the, the distilleries that make, you know, all of them, whether it be Eagle Rare and, and, uh, Basil Hayden's, and uh, I think it's Blanton's is another one and, and Pappy Ben Winkle and all those belong to the same sort of family of bourbons and, you'll find out you like love all these same ones and then you have yeah. this other one. Like, I don't really like that. And you also don't really like all the other ones in that family. So yeah, that's one thing I found. I'm a, I think I'm a corn bourbon guy myself.
1: Oh, that's cool. Dude. I'll have to look at that. I've never really thought about it like that. It's kind of like soda, right? You got your, yep. your Pepsi or you got your Coke. You can't, you know, drink, you, yeah, you right. can't do one or the other. That's They're it. the
0: same thing, but, <laughs> but the the corn does have a sweeter finish. I'll I'll, I'll note that man. Like it's, it's definitely, uh, it, it's, it, you can tell the difference, man.
2: Well, and I'm not a big Scotch guy. I don't really like the taste of dirt. So uh, for me, <laughs> as a, I'm a Sucker, bourbon guy. It's
0: smoke, man.
2: <laughs> it's swamp, man. It's Mossy slump. dirt. Uh, yeah, no, oh. I, I'm, a, I'm a bourbon guy. I, you know, I, I married a girl that went to uh, school in Nashville, Tennessee. And, um, and she introduced, or me, my best friend, who, that's how I met her, uh, introduced me to, Good, fine Kentucky bourbon. So I, I don't go pretty – I don't go very far from that.
0: Well, you're only what you a few open? states
2: away, man. I'm actually opening the bottle of uh, Redneck Riviera. Now.
1: Oh, I'm going to try to – I got some ice here that I'm going to put it on and, and see if I could sip it throughout the episode a little bit. I, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I was debating because I also I, – I, this is so bad, I know. But I'm, I'm a sucker when I go into the liquor store. I see these like little bottles, and these are peanut butter whiskey. And I'm so sorry, my dogs are going off over here. But um,
2: <laughs> Pandemic, man.
1: Yeah, that's it, dude. Somebody, It's it, probably Amazon delivering mail, so all of them are just going at the door right now.
0: But <laughs> You just missed it. My cats just got into a fight, a fight right in front of me. I had to kick a <laughs> shoe out of them, man. <laughs>
1: well, I got two different types of peanut butter whiskey because I wanted to compare them. It's Sheepdog or Ram's Point. So I like screwball, you know, and I've like ah, I wanted to start venturing out into this world of peanut butter whiskeys, and uh, figured I'd give them a try and see what they see what they feel sheepdog
2: like. Sheepdog and Rams Point. Please tell me they're from the same company. That would
1: be awesome, right? No,
2: sheepdog. No, they're is not. Made... No, just copycats. Just complete yeah, copycats. Yeah, that's yeah. it. <laughs> that's great.
0: Yeah. I'm a purist, man. I, I like scotch. You know, I'll di- different from you there, but I like my uh, I like. Traditional bourbons, traditional scotches, traditional whiskeys. You know, you got your rye, uh, or your bourbon, and I don't venture too far to that. Dave, man, you're on that flavored uh, whiskey kick. Have been for quite a while.
1: Oh yeah, dude. Are you kidding me? If you give me some flavored, dude. I, back in the day, I was into flavored coffee. I cannot do flavored coffee anymore. That is not my thing. It has to be like whole roasted. I'm thinking like medium roast, dark roast. Like I gotta have some no good
2: pumpkin coffee. spice for you. Oh, this God, is the Northwest <laughs> come on, man. I know <laughs> right? close to the mothership of Starbucks, <laughs> not to <laughs> love that pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> he puts
0: on his Uggs and he gets him a pumpkin spice. <laughs> the with the fur. They got the
2: little balls that hang off the back of them. That's great. Stomp them That's great. Love it. Oh man. Well, if you like good bourbon, uh, I'm going to give a little shout out to an Iowa company called Cedar Ridge. Um, really, really good company. Uh, great distillery. and um, the The company is actually here, about ten minutes away from here. And I'll tell you what, I've had a lot of the best bourbon in the country, and it's top ten for sure. Yeah. And, it, and it's just in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, and uh, it's all corn bourbon, obviously, because you know Iowa's corn country. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, here in here in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, just south of here, there's a great place called Cedar Ridge Distillery.
1: I'm gonna check that out. I took a note here in the chat. I'm gonna. I do. I love bourbon. I love good whiskeys. I, I really like finding the um, the kind of micro distilleries, right. Little smaller distilleries and trying that. Um, yep. I, of course I, I always love my staples. You know, I love the Basil Hayden's. I love, you know, crown every once in a while and different things like that. But I'm always down to check out some local kind of small stuff.
0: You just said it a second ago, but where, so where is, uh, where are
2: you based out of You're Iowa
0: Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids? Okay.
2: Cedar Rapids. It's and about, uh, 250 miles West of Chicago.
0: And that's where uh, M Suite
2: is. Or it is. You get, oh, perfect. It's Mecca, baby. Mecca. <laughs> hey,
0: it must be. I lived in Cedar Rapids for I don't know six, no, maybe about eight months to a year when I was like six years old, and a tornado ripped off the roof oh. of our school, um, Oscar Eagles or something. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. That sound right? I don't know. But anyways, ripped off the roof to the field house and the to the school. Wow. And uh, I remember going underneath the school and the teacher saying something like, you know, all right, kids, put your – because there's like some weird basement underneath the school that we all had crawled into. Teacher said, put your, put your heads between your legs, guys. And one of the kids said, In kiss your butt goodbye. And we all lost it for like an hour. And then, you know, we leave. And then shortly after that, my mom was like, all right, we're moving. We're not we're, – we're leaving. We're leaving Iowa. We will never be here again. But that was it. I, 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 actually, I don't remember much of it, but I remember that part.
2: I got to yeah. tell you, uh, I'm originally from Oklahoma City. And, uh, <laughs> Tornado born, Alley. Yeah, I was born and raised. So Tornado Alley, man. yeah, Tornado Alley is, uh, uh, yeah, I, I started the base of Tornado Alley. and Now I'm at the tip of it. And the, at the end of the day, the, the tornadoes are scary and, uh, you know, they're not something to play around with. But I will tell you here last august this past august we had a storm here called a derecho have you ever heard of that
0: yeah
2: yeah yeah uh, yeah, it's a straight line wind derecho means straight in spanish and uh it it, it, dave sorry i didn't mean to interrupt there but yeah it's a straight line wind and we had a storm here august 10th that for 37 straight minutes it was 140 mile an hour winds gosh yeah and
1: I read, I read about it online. I actually donated to a couple of the charities because huh. it was it was just Thank nuts, you. man. Yeah, of course. It was donate for uh, uh gosh, I can't remember the, the some of the cities that uh, were listed on there, but it was, See like, was the hardest story. hit, by, dude. By it was far. nuts, man. It just I mean, growing up in the Midwest, like I grew up in Indiana, and I grew oh, up around yeah. you know severe thunderstorms, flooding, tornadoes, you know, and when you see a community that's torn apart like that, it just it sucks and it kind of rips your heartstrings a little bit. Right. It pulls at your heartstrings. Yep. You're like, man, I got I can help, you know, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is. It's just something to help them because these people have lost
2: everything. You well, know, you know, crazy. being in the flyover states, uh, it's not the sexiest thing to report on a windstorm in the middle of Iowa. Uh, but at the end <laughs> of the day, it's it's this, now the sixth or seventh worst uh, natural disaster since 1980.
0: Yeah, and oh, no wow. one knows
2: about it. Nobody knows about it. And um, yeah, I mean, Cedar Rapids is a heavily wooded city. Most people don't really know about that, but it's uh, kind of a rolling uh, hills area with lots of beautiful, tall, you know, 150 uh, year old trees. And uh, after the storm and after the assessment, they said that Cedar Rapids lost approximately 65 to 75% of its canopy over Gosh, the city. Dude, so, crazy. I mean, it's just gone. And I can tell you right now, uh, I can drive down the street right here and there are still my house, my house, actually, I have a a hundred foot tall cottonwood sitting on my front lawn that is still waiting to pick it up because it's it's 40 inches in diameter, 48 inches in diameter. So yeah, uh, dude, I need to,
1: I, I, I've been looking for uh, a new kitchen table. My daughter was Mm -hmm. leaning on my, I had like this old school Amish kitchen table, right? It's awesomely put together, nice little table, and, uh, of course, four (laughs) kids later, it's got some wear and tear. Sure. My daughter, yeah, my daughter was leaning on it the other day, and as she's leaning down on the one side, the legs just completely snapped. So I'm like, oh, all right, I got to get a new kitchen table. I I kid you not, guys. Right now, it's held together with a ratchet strap. (laughs) That's all I could do. I ratchet strapped that thing together so it would stay. I'm like, all right, cool, we can do it until I can get a new table. But I've been thinking, I want to do a live edge. Like, man, if I could find a tree, like, you know.
0: Have him send you a tree, man.
1: No, I'm saying, man. 48-inch <laughs> diameter? Let's go. Like,
2: yeah, I mean, got, I don't know how am to get my it neighbor, here, My neighbor's got two probably 30-foot long uh, straight pieces, straight logs that are about 20 inches in diameter of cherry sitting in yeah. his front yard right now. So, oh, I mean. Dude, that's awesome. Uh, there's been rumors all over town, and I'm sure they're all, uh, you know, myths, but, you know, people hiring logging companies to come in and pay them to take this stuff away, but yeah. I just think my wood chips better be free next year. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah, dude. Heck yeah.
1: Get some cords uh, of wood, although that cottonwood will burn pretty fast, but it'll burn. It
2: yep. It'll burn. Yep.
1: Heck yeah. All right, so let's dive into it, man. We've taken so many tangents today. Um, <laughs> it's been awesome. I'm loving it. Um Britton, can you tell us a little bit more, like for those who may, may not know, what does M-Suite do? What, what, is, what are your guys' specialties?
2: Yeah, uh, M-Suite is the management suite for the construction lifecycle that connects BIM, fab, and field. At the end of the day, our whole focus is on being able to provide a solution for fabrication managers and field foremen and BIM managers uh, that helps them manage their projects with better data so they can make better decisions. And from that sort of architecture, we build BIMPRO, which is our plugin in Revit that automates a lot of really tedious stuff that people are just used to doing, and they feel like that's just the way. And now we've sort of changed the way people are doing things. And in the fabrication shop, we sort of live on this one sheet of music uh, methodology where they can be using the model or a pdf or a napkin drawing from the field and everyone's looking at that same sheet of music and building off of it and then when it gets to the field they can receive those things they can install them and all through that process we're seeing what happens in real time in the cloud and allowing people to uh just kind of have a level of transparency in things that that they never had before
0: so this ties back into exactly what we were chatting about um, uh, i guess i was gonna say last week but earlier in the week with uh, uh, Josh here, and it's that, you know, uh, the subcontractors, the trades, they've really been up to like their own devices. Everybody's kind of forced them into BIM, but there hasn't really been um, out of the box BIM tools that are capable of, of connecting their existing processes uh, and the ways that they have actually have to deliver uh, how they get paid, right? With this whole methodology of BIM, other than, hey, let's have a 3D model, but I still have to go to XYZ software. I have to spool out of that. And then from there, you know, where's my status tracking? You know, how are we communicating uh, installation packages to the field and, you know, recording hours, all that fun stuff. So what you guys have done is actually made that process uh, pretty seamless for everybody else. This is why I love what you guys do. About two years ago, you and I kind of got connected and we we've been seeing where you guys are going. And you guys just kind of it seems like you guys have blown up. Everybody I talk to knows about M-Suite. You guys are doing a great job.
2: No, thank you very much. Yeah, we're growing pretty quick, I and mean, we've had a lot of uh, really great success stories in the last uh, four months. We raised our our uh, first external round of money. We brought on uh, Benny Beltrotsky from ESUB as our COO, and he's just an amazing guy with a lot of uh, great insight into the industry as well. And and we continue to look for good people that know what they're doing in the business. We're not, you know, we're not out here hiring just um, just anybody. We want to look for people that actually can help our customers get better at some aspect of what they do. And from that perspective with BIMPRO, there's always this struggle. You've got a lot of people in Fabrication Academy P that like the idea of trying to move to Revit because Revit is where the architects and the engineers live. And it would be nice to have one sort of single workflow, but that transition in the past has been very difficult And they don't think it's super easy to do anymore, but, you know, products like ours and BIMPRO that actually help facilitate that and make it easier, we're just trying to get the word out that it's not impossible anymore. It's a much, much more simplified thing than it was even a year or two ago. And from that perspective, we're trying to bring the industry into a workflow that, I always give the example, you know, when people first got the screwdriver, they were like, oh, this is way better, you know, like, this is way better than turning the little wooden plugs uh, that uh, we could with a wrench. And and then they were like, oh, there's a now this thing called an impact drill or an impact wrench. That's way better than a screwdriver. I'm not gonna use that anymore. We're sort of that impact wrench. You know, we're not Fab Academy P anymore. Fab Academy P was a wonderful screwdriver. It got us into air quotes BIM. But now that you can get fully into Revit and have a similar workflow, automate a lot of the things that you hated doing in Fab Academy P and be in that Revit world, that Revit environment that helps you get the benefits of a truly parametric model, it's kind of a win-win for everybody.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And man, you guys are, you guys also, I'm seeing you, you, uh, you announced the new strategic partnership with Construct Prefabrication <clears throat> Consultants. So you guys are growing there in Denver, right? Yeah. And you guys are kind of just building that footprint in those services that you guys can provide. I mean, and really, I think that, With something like this, you guys are bringing more people on that have the experience. So, you know, this is one of the big things about our industry. As you were saying, you're hiring the right people, right? These people have industry knowledge, field knowledge, fabrication knowledge, and we need that because with our industry moving it the way that it is and adopting technology at at the rate that I I think that we are, um, it's important that you have people that understand what the, you know, end users need, what the, you know, fabrication shop needs in terms of deliverables, what to turn over, you know what I mean? We, we see so many of these add-ins and they do specific things here and there. They kind of focus on, you know, one or two things or even just um, general workflows inside of the program. But a lot of it doesn't have to do with connecting, you know, point A to point B. Let's yeah. say in this sense, you know, as you as you said earlier, from design to fab to field, right? And, man, I, I just, I can't even, I'm, I'm excited about this. You know what I mean? I, I like what you guys are doing and, and um, it's just, I, I feel like you guys are making all of the right moves to, you know, not only of course, make a good product where you guys have the support of all of your, you know, employees and, and, and some of the other people that you are partnering with, but uh, you're also pushing this, this technological kind of envelope and you're pushing the, you know, I want to say you guys are pushing the competition. You guys are raising that bar to say, hey, this is what we can do. This is what we should do. And let's, let's knock it out. Mm
0: -hmm. And and sorry, I just want to piggyback on what you were saying there, Dave. Uh, So you mentioned an integration that you guys have. We we're starting to see companies obviously are realizing they can't be all things to all people. Um, Getting integrations is, is, um, is obviously the, the way to go. You've got to figure out a way that you can, you know, coexist with other other tools that are, that are A, doing a great job, already have market share, or B, that, um, you know, that you're looking to create yourself and make better than what they're doing. Uh, what integrations do you have today? And what integrations are you looking at partnering with in the future?
2: That's a great question. Um, and to speak a little bit about that, it kind of ties both those concepts, what you just said, Dave, and, and what you're asking about now, Joe, is you know, the partnership with guys like David Antoziak at Construct Prefab, the guy's been in, in the business uh, for 20 plus years, and um, he has 30,000 followers on LinkedIn for a reason. People people believe that he knows what he's talking about, right? He shares impactful content around the fabrication process that, that people believe in, and he's able to start his own company as a consultant uh, and be able to go out into the industry and help people grow into that fabrication process to to not reinvent the wheel. And he, he I think he said it best. He was at a, a contractor recently that uh, that's uh, that's coming on with us. And he said, look, um, you, know, you bought the four hundred thousand dollar cut table. You bought ten, twenty thousand dollar welding machines. Right. You bought uh, this this thing and that thing and this hardware and that hardware. But if you if you don't buy the brain, you just got a beautiful body with nothing to operate it. And and Fab Pro and M-Suite is the brain. And you've got to invest in that. Otherwise, all of this becomes a very manual process. And I thought that was really, that was a great way of putting it.
0: That was a very eloquent uh, analogy. I love it, man. (laughs)
2: That was perfect. Yeah. But um, but the integration side, you weren't integrated with that equipment, whether it be Watts and Pipe Server and and Vernon and HDG. We're looking at welding machines uh, as well. And, you know, from a hardware perspective, obviously we're, we're, we're ingrained in a lot of them and and we want to continue that. Um, But from a software perspective, I think one thing that differentiates us in the industry is, you know, we are sort of a core piece to a a lot of what people do, but, you know, we're not reinventing Revit and we're not reinventing the accounting systems. And, you know, we're not reinventing the high level project management software. We are the system that helps those things get real data that, that gets uh, measurable things that you can actually make decisions off of. So, you know, we're integrating with great auto- with Autodesk, you know, with BIM 360, obviously, you can uh, leverage the power of the model uh, directly within our system. At any point in our system, you can check statuses and uh, and things like that. You can auto dimension and auto tag uh, spools in the system so that if someone needs to uh, see a different angle of something, it's really easy to do with BIM 360. We're integrating with Trimble and uh, we're partnering with them. And you'll see actually an announcement coming out here. So you kind of you hear it first sort of thing. Uh, here shortly. We have uh, an integration we're building with Procore as well, so there's very few people I think that uh, play in all three of those particular sandboxes uh, well, and I think we are doing a great job of it. But then, you know, when it comes to the accounting systems and and things like that, we're going to look to partner with them as well. So um, we have workflows that work with that today, you know, the typical uh, exporting of the data out of the system and importing it to your ERP. You know, we've talked about building integrations there for a long time, but at the end of the day, people like to validate that data before it comes in just to have one less set, of, one last set of eyes on it. So, um, you know, but those are the types of things we're looking at in the future as well. And that's a very,
0: that last part that you mentioned is a very customized process, right? It's about mapping fields between two systems, how, you know, what kind of data you've got here and, you know, what is essentially what is it called over here and how you want that in there? Is it going to be formulated? So we've seen that type of kind of drawback in the past where people are like, Oh no, we, we don't, we don't want a full Mm -hmm. push into this system. Uh, one, we don't want the price tag that comes with automation and two, we don't trust it. We want to, yeah, we want to look at it. Yeah. That's the
2: thing. I mean, automation's great until you don't trust it. And you know, we're, we're confident in what we do, but at the end of the day, there are people that are paid full time to look at, you know, this type of data to make sure because that, you know, they're, they're, livelihood and the company's uh, profitability depends on it
0: so so before we get too far down the road of Suite, I, I i have to ask you man like so you had uh you were a prominent person in the industry before uh before msuite right you know you google you you were at you know speaking at mcaa and <laughs> yep. you've been involved with a lot of stuff before right you probably had a well-paying job before this And then something happened and you did what? Like, how did, how did this all happen? I've got to ask you.
2: So I was at a company called Modern Piping. Uh, I was the director of support operations there where I managed the BIM department and the fab shop. And honestly, we started building what became Fab Pro later. Just then it was our own little internal thing. Uh, We started building that thing and uh, I got asked to speak at the MCAA uh, conferences about it and When at one of those conferences, I got approached by a bunch of people that said, hey, man, are you going to are you guys going to sell this? Is this can we use this somehow? And how can we get our hands on this? Because we have all the same problems that that you're talking about here. So I went back to our ownership group and they said, you know what, let's give it a go. And we spun it off to a separate company. And for probably uh, two and a half years, we just kind of dabbled in it and uh, we built the product. We had a software development team building it and continue to build it. We had some beta partners in the industry, some really well-known names that uh, helped us immensely in our early days. And um, and then about, you know, middle of 2018, we kind of said, all right, this is a business. This is a legit thing. Let's go do it. And uh, I left Modern and uh, moved offices, brought all of our people downtown Cedar Rapids and really kind of bifurcated the two entities completely because at the end of the day, we started selling to some of modern's competition and, you know, there's some, there's some fear there that modern could see something. And so we completely separated things and and went off on our own and God, it's been the best move I could have ever hoped for. M Suite has been uh, a blessing in so many ways. And I think one of the biggest ones is that we're able to help the industry in ways that we never thought were possible all because the first couple of years, uh, Modern was the best angel investor we could have ever asked for. They never asked about how many new customers you got you know, this month and what is your sales revenue and blah, blah, blah. They're like, no, 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 go build something amazing. Go finish it, make it awesome and then release it. So unlike a lot of companies out there, we were very fortunate to be able to build this thing right you know, from the ground up mm-hmm. to the point now that when we go into somebody's office or we go into somebody's fab shop and we say this thing is going to help you make more money. This is going to change the way you do business for the better, for the easier. We can actually mean it and believe it. And there are people that we we've sold to for the last two years that are like, yeah, it works exactly like that. So, you know, we've been very fortunate and we've been um, lucky to have that sort of opportunity because nobody gets that. So to answer your question, it just kind of happened organically over the last few years.
0: That's awesome. Well, when you have a product like you guys, uh, it's, it's easy to be organic, right? You solve specific pain points. Um, th- there is a kind of a bottleneck in the industry right now between BIM and the trades and existing software. And the idea of this you know, federated model and everybody moving into uh, you know, more coordinated spaces and wanting to not manage two different sets of designs and all that stuff, like getting to that point, you guys solve that, not yeah. just on the, the BIM pro side, but actually on the fab side, like the fab tracking status stuff. But um, to the point about your organic growth, whenever we show somebody your software, whenever like I bring somebody to your, your booth at AU or whatever, they walk away and they're like, "Yep, yeah, we're gonna buy a few seats. Like, <laughs> they loved it, man, it was great.
2: Well, I mean, honestly, we have close to 100 customers today and, and we just hired our first salespeople last month. So nice. you know, it, it, it's never really been too tough to sell. It kind of sells itself, but now it's time, you'll see, Dave, you're talking about a little bit earlier, we have a new website, uh, launched yesterday, actually. and uh, and it's time to start telling the story about what we're doing and getting out there and actually um, uh, you know evangelizing fabrication and and this workflow. and we've got some pretty, you know, pretty impressive people now on our staff and and we're excited about that,
1: yeah, yeah, dude, I mean I, I think to to touch on both your points there too, um, Joey, with it, it's like, I mean, I have so many things going through my head, but this this technology, this this add in, right? Um, being able to, I like this term. I'm going to use it again. I used it last episode. Bridge the gap, right? But it, <laughs> there it is. But uh, what I think every other maybe, word, bridge it's the gap. every other word, every other word, bridge the gap. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, nah, dude. What I think is great about this is it, it again, it's bridging that gap, BIM fab field, but also in that sense, you know, to get this workflow, to get this end result like the deliverable that that we would typically have right and, and needed for MEP for most fabric fabrication or modular kind of construction workflows um a lot of times you'd, you'd see that BIM doesn't have like Revit did not have the accuracy level that mm-hmm. was needed for these fabrication and it wouldn't connect downstream right so then you have like right now what we have typically is MEP like CAD, fabrication CAD MEP and you know they'll create a catalog and then connect that with Revit and we can kind of switch over parts to fabrication parts that would transition, you know, down the line. That's fine. But at that point, you also then need someone that knows MEP, you know, CAD, fabrication Academy MEP. you need someone that knows Revit. You need someone that knows what's, you know, how to, how to take this data and transition it downstream. And a lot of times what we're seeing is it's so much for people to try and learn. You have these one, you know this one guy or one girl in in your office who knows Fab Academy P, knows Revit, knows this, knows that because they need to they need to either concentrate on all of these to complete their workflow or you have several people that you're trying to employ with their strengths, right? You know, okay, Bob over here knows Revit, Chad, you know knows knows Fabrication Academy P, Sam knows Camduct or whatever it is, in in the actual you know fab shop utilizing that individual software that workflow and it's so hard for companies to try and figure this out right like balancing what software are we going to use how do we make sure that we have the right people in place but i think a plug-in like this helps us to alleviate a lot of that right you're seeing a lot of people lean on technology for that that we call it a labor gap right there's there's a small labor gap there's a small you know knowledge gap here and there but i think this kind of again bridges that with um, okay, hey, we're gonna take this BIM model and we're gonna give you a deliverable that is what your fabrication shops need. We know it's precise, we know it's accurate to the level that they need it for. We we've brought people on, they know what they're doing, they have experience in this industry, and we can transition that from this to here. We don't need you know A, B, C, and D. We don't need all these. Yes, it is a workaround, right? It's an add-in. The, the program doesn't do yeah. it itself. But you don't need workarounds for every single software you're using. Uh, we can't get this exactly the way we want it in Fab Academy P. We got to do this workaround. We can't get it. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You You don't have to have a third party consultant full time either, telling you exactly how your tech stack works. Exactly. Over and over and over you again guys got the consultant. What you guys do? It's like,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you know, it's actually. You You start getting into this and uh. I think one telltale sign of our success lately has been we're starting to convert um, industrial contractors to Revit and BIMPRO. And if you can get a guy who's used to using PDMS or Plant3D and Acorn and Isogen and all those into now using Revit with fabrication parts and spooling and modeling and doing that that's a huge win. And that's something that I think is is truly a sign of the times that the industry really is starting to see that Revit is no longer just an engineering software. Revit can now be a fabrication software. It can now, with with a tool like ours, can take you from design all the way through hyper-accurate fabrication drawings and install drawings for the MEP contractor. And until until us, honestly, there really wasn't a, a strong way of doing that with fabrication content. Uh, now we've got that workflow fully rolling, and you know we've got a lot of people that are just like, I had no idea this was possible. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun because in a lot of ways we're trailblazing. You know, sometimes that's good. Sometimes you you know you bloody your nose on the wall, but yeah. um, you know at this point we're having a lot of success, and and you know couldn't be more thankful for it.
1: Heck yeah, man. And I mean, you take those, you know, you take those, uh, I call them knowledge knots, right? You take those knowledge knots and you move on with that knowledge that you've gained from that slip up and move forward. And I mean, we have to, we have to always kind of adjust. It's its something with our industry, with technology in general, it's always changing, always shifting, even just a little bit, right? So we got to kind of adapt to that and keep moving forward. Um, especially as you kind of said, with the adoption of technology, the way that it is right now, We're seeing, you know, whatever you want to call it, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, generations that were kind of brought up with this technology and we know what it can do. You know, and some of the younger generations are pushing it even more with coding and things like that. And we're seeing a lot of different, you know, a lot of different like platforms, a lot of different things coming forward to help us really kind of push into that, you know, the new age of digital construction.
2: Well, and you, you mentioned something there that I want to t- definitely touch on is, you know, we've had probably oh, half a dozen to a dozen of our customers now are companies that built something themselves, like I, we did at Modern. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a funny line that uh, I was meeting with a customer in Denver recently, and he says, uh, "You know, we spent giant number of dollars building our own system," and he goes, "But whatever, and we're going to switch to, to M Suite." But what I'm really upset about it is we spent all that money, and now you're teaching all my competitors how to do it better than what we built for ourselves. <laughs> and he goes, "How you know? How did, how do we re- prevent that?" I said, "Well, unfortunately, when you built that, there wasn't a solution. you were in the same boat that I was, and um, and so that's why a lot of the companies do that. But today, when you look out there, and there's a solution like M Suite that you know keeps you from having to spend." two, three, $400,000 a year on developers. Because by the way, those guys aren't cheap. I know that very, very well. Um, and and also, let's be honest, no really, really strong developers want to work for a mechanical contractor their whole life. They want to go in there and say, I built this thing. Look at my resume. Hire me, Google. Hire me, Apple. And then they poof, they go away. And so that's the, the trick of it is how do we keep these people? But... I would say, you know, we've had a lot of success lately, and I would say our biggest competition is people trying to just either stick with the way they've always done it or, or do it themselves, and boy, I mean, now that there's stuff like this, like you're saying, a plug-in, so to speak, off the shelf, you'd be crazy to try and do it yourself.
0: Yep, yeah. yep, I agree. So, so, I've run into quite a few people that have tried to do it themselves, and now with Dynamo, they're, they've Definitely going down that route. They've got a few scripts and then uh, corrupted model, and now they're yep. not doing that anymore. So uh, <laughs>
2: don't get me wrong, Dynamo Dynamo is a powerful tool, but at the end of the day, it's a tool. It's it's a it's coding light. It is yeah. it's a nice way to get scripts, kind of like you used to run Lisp routines and scripts in CAD. It's a nice way to do that in Revit.
0: Yeah, it automate things that are you know very tedious, that sort of stuff. Yep. Uh, Dynamo for me is a great way to run through the paces with something. And then if it's being used over and over again, build it into the Revit API. Like that's yep. build a plugin for it, or, you know, or use a tool that's already built. Right. Don't don't yep. don't waste your time on, uh, on on that sort of stuff. But that said, I wanted to tackle real quick. I, um, you mentioned four hundred thousand dollars for uh, for uh, coders and all that stuff. Um, you you guys probably do this better than anybody, but having somebody to communicate your needs to the the coders to get the product in the end, like that, that is probably the hardest job. I know somebody that's a firm, I'm not gonna name, spent uh, about a million dollars to build their own internal system. It flopped, it's, you know, this was four years ago and I think it maybe lasted two years. They spent a million dollars to do this and within two years had to abandon it. Uh, One, the developers weren't there to maintain it with new updates, new programs, all that sort of stuff. So they were screwed. And two, the end product didn't really work the way that it was intended because they didn't have somebody that could communicate with the coders. Coders don't understand, you know, crap about mechanical. They don't know any of that stuff. Um, So having to communicate that is a pain in the butt because you you guys are.
2: You know, there's, it is, software development is incredibly complex. It is not a kid in his basement writing lines of code. That is (laughs) is the biggest misnomer in the world. And if there's any example you need of that, the most popular or the most famous kid in his basement or his dorm room building code is Mark Zuckerberg. And uh, look what happened to Facebook whenever they started getting into the security settings, the security issues of the world. <laughs> oh, you want to talk yeah. about something that isn't talked about at all. And that is if you go hire two, three developers to go build your little plug-in or build some solution for yourself, you better make sure that you have cybersecurity in mind because, These guys are out there now and they're trying to attack everything. And as a software company, it's incumbent upon us to actually make sure that happens. But as a mechanical contractor, cybersecurity probably isn't the first thing on your mind. It's let's build this widget that helps us do what we want to do. And, um, you know, you look at, remember, if you guys remember the target uh, deal in Minnesota, where the, uh, the, well, all of target was hacked and they got credit card numbers for everything. That was Predicated on a uh, on a mechanical contractor that accidentally had a uh, a cybersecurity issue that went through all the way through Target and and went through. Now you talk about and that was just I think a uh, controls issue, like the actual control system they were installing. But now you talk about people moving into the, the digital age, so to speak, and managing their operations with highly complex, self-grown software i promise you it's not secure to the level it needs to be and that's one of the things i always caution is if you're going to build it yourself there's lots of things that go into it we talked about the cost we talked about the complexity of keeping people but one of the biggest things that you need to focus on is security because if there's a a path in there are hackers out there they're going to find it and then at that point if you're running your company on it they can ransom you for about as much as they want
0: yeah we've we've run into the ransomware we know quite a few actually mechanical Engineers who have ran into the ransomware, where um, they actually now just have an insurance that pays off whenever they get ransomed. That way, it's not, not an issue to them. <laughs> but yeah, it is terrible. But uh, the the alternative is they have two days to pay this untold sum, you know, ungodly sum of money, or lose access to everything that they've ever had.
2: But the real alternative is to actually be secure and not have to worry about those types of things. Have is. somebody else protecting your back. Yes. Yeah, that's, I mean
1: that's huge, dude. I think, in the, as you said, in the digital age, right? This, as we push forward to more technology, a lot of times I see, you know, government um, kind of entities, and even some, you know, commercial like uh, architectural firms and things like that. They'll tell me, I don't know if we could push into this cloud, Dave. I'm not, I'm not so comfortable hosting documents in BIM 360 or Bluebeam, you know, Studio, because my my information is out there for everybody. I'm like, yeah, that's that. Yeah, I, I understand that, but at the same time, you know, as you're saying, Britt, like, it, everything is connected, dude. All of this data, all of this information that you're putting in for this entire design of this building, that data has to be protected. It really does. Like, because if somebody hacks into this building, let's say you're designing for banks, right, and you don't have your, you know, your data protected, that could be bad juju for, you know, I mean, for that bank or whatever yeah. it is. I mean, in, in not just the sense of potential customers in the future, but for that business in general.
2: Well, let me give let me give an example. There's a before COVID, there was a big RFP for uh, software to help manage the construction process for uh, the State Department. And the State Department at the time was looking at building new embassies and and consulates around the world. And the new stuff that's built is requiring that every single person, and and I'm not exaggerating, every single person that touches the project in any way, that is designers, estimators, vendors, and the delivery people of materials, have to have top-secret security clearance. Wow. That's awesome. You You think about the complexity of having to do that? You're going to need something, not necessarily us for the entire thing, but you're going to need something like us that can track and say, okay, do you have people that are cleared? If not, they can't get into Revit. They can't do that. They can't, you know, and it was incredible. And we can't comply by any stretch of the imagination to that sort of thing. But that's where it's going because they see that the security of the building doesn't start when you lock or unlock the door, it starts in design. And if people have access to that model and they're able to share it, it's a you know, potentially dangerous situation. So they're talking all the way back from concept. They need to have top secret clearance. Wow. And that's a whole different world that we're just starting to get into. And the first building that was supposed to go off was supposed to go off this year. Uh, but because of the pandemic, things have slowed down, but it's not, you know, that's, that's what's coming.
1: Yeah. That's, that, that's crazy. But at the same time, I, I think I can see it. You know what I mean? I, it, I, I understand it, but at the same time, I'm like, man, you want every drafts person that we have to have a top secret security clearance? Probably not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: Like and really, even
2: so, we were in this, uh, in this, 10 grand piece. a license, right? Or 10 grand a. Uh, they don't care. They don't care. The cost is not the issue. Well, I mean, that, nope, you gotta make we'll the background check in
0: general, dude. You're, you're starting are well, starting back. It's ten grand for yeah, for, for clearance. Is what I'm saying. That's insane to, be, to, to bring be people sponsored.
1: on that are that like squeaky clean in general. Like you have to, you have to really start just the people you're that you'd be feed. able to bring. It. Yeah, it'd
2: be insane. Especially for that. Yeah. But if you know that you're gonna build a project that's three years long and they're willing to pay you 150 bucks an hour. Hey. Okay. Let's go. Well, I'll yep. go get my. <laughs> Be clear. Absolutely. I got <laughs> another tie, I'll take 150 bucks an hour. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. But at the end of the day, their goal is security. And, and it's not security in the sense of <laughs> locking doors. It's cybersecurity and everything else. So, I mean, I didn't mean to take this contra- conversation into a tangent of cybersecurity, but it's a, it's a valid uh, issue of today.
1: That is, no, that's, I think that's that's perfect, like in, going into BIM, right? Because our data is out there, these building data is out there, you know, and Joey and I like to talk about connecting the GIS data to the BIM world, right? So we can know what's actually there. It is. It's important to protect that information. Can you imagine if anybody from an out, outside country, Iran, what have you, North Korea got access to our GIS information and knew, I mean, they probably have it, but And knew exactly how, like, what, dude, I swear, when I built a model on Infoworks just yesterday for a demo, I picked the Dalles, you know, here in Oregon. I picked a small little town, and I was like, this is cool. I I drew a a square area. It was like 0.6 kilometers, square kilometers, right? I'm like, this should be cool for the demo. When I pulled this up, the buildings were there right in the model builder. I could click on it and I could see the outline of the building. I could see where the walls, the layout of this building. And I'm like, this information is cool, but it can be very dangerous at the same time. Like obviously, you know, with protected buildings, with, you know, bases and things like that, we can't have that. But at the same time, dude, like military bases and things like that. But I'm like, man, with this information out there, it is very dangerous especially as we get more reliant on technology. Our well, server locations, data, everything, dude.
0: It's like the Google's the Google Street View and you can go inside buildings, you can <laughs> yeah. actually see what's there. But the, the difference between what that is and, you know, a model is the model shows what's behind the wall. The model, you know, if it, if it's spec correctly, right? If the LEDs there, it tells you the the pump, the controllers, the systems, everything that's there. If you know there's a fault, if you know if you're, you know, whoever's hacking you knows that there's a fault with the whatever and they can exploit that. That model gives them all the information they need. Or even worse, if that model's tied to the IoT systems right inside there controlling sensors and all that stuff, like there's there is uh, real vulnerability. So you've started this tangent with with uh, the security man and it's running
2: from my perspective, you know, that's one of the things we're focused on. We've hired a, a cybersecurity consultant that, uh, that is amazing. And, you know, it also scares the crap out of me all the time <laughs> uh, because <laughs> that's their job. Uh, yep. but you know, it, it's a focus of, of ours on top of, and that's the thing. That's where I was kind of coming back to. It's not just about building a, a powerful solution. We're, we're very fortunate to have, uh, pretty much an unmatched solution in the industry and, on top of that, knowing that you're secure and that you know your data is being protected, is, is got a ton of value. And um, being able to assure people that just further promotes them from not going out and trying to do it themselves, because it isn't, again, it isn't just a guy in a basement uh, building, you know, building a, a software package to help you automate a couple dimensions. It is, it's far more than that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this isn't to say, you know, hey, we're, we're pushing everybody away from developing their own tools. We're not saying that, just in the sense yes, of. <laughs> I am. I want I to think of like. That. It's hard, man. It's well, a lot. Well, of
0: don't make what thing. he's there's making. So make, your make, make your own stuff.
1: Make your own stuff, right? Yeah, but
2: like, just come to us and tell us, hey, your workflow is great, but it's missing this, and that's why our our solution's so good is because we do pull a ton of data from the industry and say, okay, well. Yeah, maybe you're right. We should actually do that or this or the other. And we add it as part of our solution.
1: Yeah, yeah. dude. Yes. I mean, but I mean, really, it's all got to be connected, right? It's got to work the way that it needs to be. It's got to be your clients have to be protected because if your client uses your product and they get screwed over down the line, the word of mouth, right? The word of mouth is one of the biggest forms of advertising that we know. And if somebody says, "Man, I use this product," and then next thing I know, everybody jacked my data or I, I lost this. No, it's not going to be good, right? I mean, well, you have to. We,
0: we live ahead. in a society now where we look at negative reviews. I don't know about you guys, but the first well, thing I do, I do uh, when I go to Amazon and look for a product or Yelp, as I look at the, I go to the, you know, I filter sort. Negative reviews. I want to see the one stars. What are they saying about this thing? Dude, that's that's I sh- what I do, man.
1: I just I just got this. Uh, I was showing you pictures last night, so I'm doing an AR-10 build, and oh. um, I'm, I'm building my own 308, and um, essentially I, I, I was just on last night reading about reviews about this bipod right here. And because I want to know exactly what's up with it, so I know what to expect moving forward. Like, oh man, is this bipod going to be able to, you know, is it is it push button? You know, can I click this and it's going to go down for me? You know, what it, when I'm leaning into a shot, is it going to like, you know, collapse on me all of a sudden? Shit, like you got to know, you got to know, right? And it, that data's got to be out there. And I think like that's what we expect anymore. Like we expect when we. By the way, it's crazy. It, you
2: just have that sitting next to you. That's awesome. Uh,
1: Dude, I, I, got. it's funny, but I told my wife, I'm like, I want a workbench because I'm using my desk as my build. I got all my parts sitting out here. I got my gas block sitting right okay. here in front of me, you so, know, doing little things here and
0: there. We should preface this. <laughs> David is highly trained ex-military. Yes. He's doing yes. this. Sorry. People, listeners at home, yeah. you know. I know what I'm doing to <laughs> Listen. a degree, okay? Yeah, sorry, guys.
1: Yes, yes. I know many i've built many uh i've put together and taken apart many rifles in in my my time in the military so yeah this is my my next hunting rifle and i figured it'd be a good endeavor to you know get on to and i've I've been doing this for gosh i think six months something like that i finally got all my parts in parts together you know and i'm like this is legos for adults it feels like you know (laughs) i get to put everything together all right
2: i want to i want to flip the, 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 uh, question asking around here. Cause you guys get to ask all the questions all the time. <laughs> all right. you, get to, you get to talk to so many people that, you know, I listen to the show, but a lot. And I want to know, you know, in the last, let's say six, eight months of all the people that you you've had on, what are, what are the big hot button things that you guys hear? What, what's the consistent message or what are you, have you heard any patterns throughout the last six months?
0: Well, we have, uh, I think for, there's been really two that have in my mind that have stood out at least immediately come to mind. One is, um, uh, the amount of tools that are out there, right? The amount of different softwares that, um, don't integrate that Mm -hmm. solve one thing really well, but then they have to do an export import. The data dies, has to go somewhere else. And two seems to be, um, uh, rising costs and con- with construction technology, but that latter one in my mind uh, isn't rising cro- cost in construction technology, or you know the fact that they have to adopt more technology. The f- it's it's a it's a mindset that we have to get over, and it's easy. That one I can solve, right? It's you're taking money out of this risk bucket and you're moving it over to this bucket to make yourself faster and reduce potential risk and issues later on. So that's I mean that's that's easily navigable, but that first one. Um, Uh, is one that's probably been brought up more times than than not.
2: Yeah. Yeah, dude, I mean,
0: for me,
1: I'd say it's kind of on the same kind of thing. It's coordination. Coordination is huge, being able to transition from, like, transition that data, right? And we have to bring it all together. And, you know, we talked to, I mean, we've had, what, uh, Johan on, who talked about an owner's perspective. We've had Flora on, who talked about, you know, scanning we, 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 we talk about BIM and, and construction in so many different ways. What really stands out to me, of course, is, is the passion that people have for our industry. That's huge that we always have oh, yeah. people like you and like John Niles, like Flora, like Johan. there are so many. Dwayne people. over
0: at uh, Unify. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The guys
1: over at. Um, oh, gosh, I can't even think about it right now. But he, I just talked to him earlier. Um, uh, yeah. JDM. JDM. Yeah. There's so many people that are pushing this envelope, you know, and, and we're kind of like a lot of the conversations we have is how to DJ use this DJM. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was about Google, I was
0: like, I'm pretty sure it's DJM.
1: But. DJM. G- I, I have dyslexia right now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, it's the, maybe it's the whiskey. But um, I, I, I see so many different things on how the usage of this BIM data, right? It's great to have this amount of data, but how are you using it? And, yeah. and think we've kind of talked about is, you know, some people like Joey are on the lean side. I only want this amount. Some people like me or I'm on the swole side. Right. I'm like, I want more data. I want you give me this scan. I want all well, of this I, and I can be able to I, transition this into my model.
0: Let's let's preface that and say, I'm not. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm six sigma lean mentality where whatever I'm capturing, we've got to there's got to be a process and an end goal for it. But that said. I love data. Give me the data. I just don't want to let this sit in a data lake out there forever and then wait to find a reason to use it. I want to use it from day one and be intentional with my use. Yes, and and that's that's really my point there,
1: Joey. Is like figuring out what the usage case and how we can really push each form of technology, right? Because each person that we have on, they they bring their own kind of you know thing here and there. We had Rob Gadball with Kobe Labs. We're having. <laughs> I Google. love Rob. Rob is an awesome dude.
0: Dude, he's moving to your neck of the woods, man. Yeah,
1: no, Rob, real
2: up.
1: Hey. No, no, Rob, real up. He's a good, good dude. Guy. And what we're seeing is people are really trying to, you know, as as we say, bridge the gaps of, of technology that we have today. That's a huge thing because if you have a Tecla model, someone that starts out with a Tecla model, we got to know this data transitions in, right? And, and not just starting with, Design, I mean, yes, it all has to start with conceptual and move into schematic into you know, design, development, construction. That's the, you know, the last word there is what I really want to kind of, you know, put quotation marks around construction, right? It's all about the construction of the building. And everybody is trying to figure out how to, you know, make it easier for everyone else, not just, you know, every other people, but themselves as well. When That's we get these data Exactly. That's it, dude. It's got to be faster. It's got to be easier. It's got to be safer. We don't want to
2: lose quality, right? We want an no-
0: affordable price, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Hey, man, we're all we're all cheapskates at the end of the well, day.
2: That, what was the old it? axiom? You can have it uh, fast, cheap, or good. Pick two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's it. It's the uh, three
0: pillars of uh, project management. You've got uh, length, cost, and scope. Yeah, and uh, pick two, guys. That's all you're yeah, getting. Yeah, dude.
2: Yep, that's it. So I want to I want to try and tie all these things together real quick because I, I agree on all of those. Um and I, I was taking notes here. Uh so Joe, you said cost of software, a little bit of software fatigue, integrations or lack thereof, um, you know, a data-driven approach, David, and and coordination. You know, and, and I, I see the same thing. The one thing I will say is uh our, our software inherently builds a process map for companies. You actually have to, you build a workflow as part of our implementation, and you'd be amazed, and maybe you wouldn't be, but there, the number of companies that have nothing for a process map. Oh, I'm absolutely amazed. I'm not yeah. amazed, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's, not, it's not a bad thing per se, it's just they've never had to. you know. They've been a very siloed approach for a long time. A lot of key stakeholders were uh, you know, the patriarch of the company and their two or three friends, and it's been profit and loss centers in a silo. And I know how to manage a project. I don't need a software to tell me how to manage a project. David knows how to you know, design a project. He doesn't need some software to tell him how to do it or some process. He's done it because we've made money. We've grown every year for the last 40 years or whatever it is. And I think then came along a little bit of our generation that said, well, wait a minute. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be an easier way of doing this. Uh, I read something recently. Elon Musk said uh, his favorite, absolute favorite developers are the laziest ones. Yep. And I was like, what? And he, and he says it's because they always try to find an easier way. Yep. And uh, and it's true, though. I mean, you look at it and you look, some of the people are like I don't want to do that. that's way too much effort. And then they find some amazing, you know, simplified way of doing something. And it becomes more lean and simpler to use. But what I'll say is um, I think you're right on a, on a lot of those things. I think the cost of software has gone way up. I think that uh, there's a huge software fatigue in the industry. There's too many things out there. And it's because there wasn't anything. You know, we've had this uh, absolute gap of solutions for a lot of things that we needed, and we all kind of created some idea or some software company out there thought that it would build something that would work for us, and it doesn't, but that doesn't mean it's not still there. One of the things I always encourage companies to do, and this is with or without us, is look at the software you are paying for today, right? Just like all of us. Look at the subscriptions we're buying. My wife has so many subscriptions on, you know, things like Netflix and other stuff that, You know, we just recently bought an app that actually tracks how many subscriptions we have and half the stuff we don't even use anymore. And so, like, I have CBS All Access, and I bought it for the Masters two years ago because I cut the cord, and I still have it. I never use it. So, anyway, back on the topic. There's a lot of companies out there that have a jillion different software that they never use, and it's time to call that. And the other thing thing I'll say about that is software moves really fast. And, uh, you know, we release every month, a new release of our software every single month. And when it's a cloud-based, when when it's a software as a service, you're going to see stuff starting to cannibalize other stuff quickly, but probably before you even know it. So I would encourage a lot of companies to do sort of a software audit. Not only are, what are you using, but what is out there? You know, what is, what's out there today that wasn't out there three months ago. And then understand that the adoption of these things, A, costs money, but B, will ultimately make things faster, easier, and less expensive for you to do. However, they do take an investment to get there, right? So you've got to have a budget in mind that you're going to spend X amount of money this year to get better. Don't worry about what you buy. You're going to can half the stuff you buy anyways, but hopefully you find those core solutions that are key to the way you perform your work. And then you know, when you look at data driven, I think you're exactly right, David. If you can get to a point where data is driving a lot of your decisions and I don't I'm not a crazy AI machine learning guy. I think there's and robotics. I think there's a place for all of those things. And I think it's important to to validate data, too. Right. Don't just trust, trust, but verify. And at the end of the day, if you can help your project managers, your field foreman, your soups in the shop or in, 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 the, in the office on the design side, whoever it is. If you can help them make better decisions just by showing them one piece of good data that's consistent all the time, that makes things so much easier. So I'm exactly the same way. I feel like a data-driven approach is key to being successful, especially as we move forward into a digital age. But I think the trust but verify is a key component to that.
0: That was probably the most articulate, well-worded component (laughs) of this whole podcast, man. (laughs) In the history of this podcast, that was—you hit the nail on the head at every
2: point. Yes, you did. Well, thank yes, you. you. I did. appreciate that. Honestly, it, it was great. Well, it's nice to hear from you guys about, you know, what other people are saying because it, nobody knows everything, and it's important to to understand that first and foremost. But we can all learn a lot from each other, and you can take a couple nuggets from from one conversation to the next, like you guys have. You guys become incredibly valuable to in the industry.
1: Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank try. you very much. And that's, we try, right? I mean, that's really what we're trying to do. You know, we've talked about data being siloed, people being siloed in general. To bridge, I, I'm going to say it again, Joey, there it is, bridging. <laughs> but we're, we're, we're making communication, you know, We're sh- bridge the gap. We're sharing this information, man. And I think that's huge in our industry is to not only, sh- you know, share how we're doing things, but how other people are doing things. When you can step back and take a look at how so many people are doing things and say, okay. I, I can't do it this way. This doesn't work for me, but this does, you know, let's think about Goldilocks and the three bears here for a second. This porridge is too cold. This porridge is too hot. This porridge is just right. If I can figure out how to make this technology work for me and, 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 and figure out what one, uh, as I said, kind of works, but makes the end goal, right? What we're trying to do work. Let's let's go for it. Right. Yeah, I mean,
2: I don't yeah, know. I, was, man. I said, maybe I said before the recording, but you know, our COO, Benny Beltrowski was on uh, construction dorks uh, a few, maybe a month or so. ago. No, because they were talking about the beer. So we were on, uh, but uh, they did a co-opetition episode on, on uh, just how can we as competitors in the industry help move the industry, move the needle. And even though we're competitors, there's things we agree on and there's things that we can help people get better on. And, and to your point right there, we've got to help people find the solutions that are impactful to them. But also keep them from making the same decisions that other people made. Like I said earlier, building your own stuff. There are absolute, i was joking. There are there are areas that you should do that. There there, <laughs> there are short putts that you should automate in your in your systems. Just, but do not kind of do not yeah. Do not build Microsoft Office yourself. Do not build your operating. <laughs> system. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, but but. I think all of us as an industry would agree that there are there are certainly things to do that way but on the co opetition side you know I'd love to have an opportunity to get together with like our com- competitors and walk through like the complexities of building something like this internally and cuz I you know that's one of our biggest things is we walk into offices every day and they're like well we're starting to build our own and I'm just like no do we'll not do
0: that yeah Don't
2: do that. I've Dude, done it I
1: love that co-competition co-competition yeah, I can't claim that I stole awesome. that not, nah, That's
0: awesome. <laughs> like, really. I mean,
1: that's what we want, though. We want yeah. cooperative competition to raise the bar for our industry as a whole. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's something we should facilitate here in the future. We can get recorded and and uh, get uh, a few uh, you know like-minded, like industry folks in here that are building tools and mm-hmm. uh, have a healthy conversation about it. That'd be. I think that'd be pretty well yeah, received. that would be, be
1: cool. That yeah. would be cool. I mean. I don't know, dude. I, I see where your guys's points are with with the tedious tasks, right? If I'm if I'm trying to pull the top and bottom elevations for my columns, right? I wrote a Dynamo script for this. Of course. That's something. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's something you need to do. If we if if we're doing certain things here and there to automate, as I said, those tedious tasks. But if you know that you need a level of precision to go to another person, this is deliverable, right? This is going to my fab shop. I mean, I can try to figure it out, but it might not be what they need because I don't have that constant communication of that and that knowledge, right, of what they need. Yeah, I know what I'm trying to give them and I can try to make it work, but I don't know exactly what, if we can combine that and, and, and like I, with your guys's, you know, software here, you can combine that and, and, and kind of say, okay, this is what they need and why. This is how a designer would approach it. This is how a fab shop would approach it. Let's go ahead and forward, that's going to better the industry,
2: right? I'll, I mean- give, you, I'll give you an example. You know, if, if I build uh, some component of a spooling tool, you know, over the next sprint that we build something and we test it and we beta test it, we alpha test it, we beta test it, we release it. Uh, the moment I release it, that day, release goes out. We're going to have five to 10,000 spools that day created with that new thing. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't do exactly what we wanted it to do, we're going to hear about it. Right. Oh yeah. If you create that thing, you might have one or two spools, or ten or hundred spools created that day, and it it might sneak past until it's out on the job site, and you're like, oh, I forgot that elevation wasn't meant to do that. It was meant to do this, and you're like, (laughs) uh, all of those spools you just built, they're garbage, and you're gonna start over. And that, and I'm giving extreme example, but it that's the type of thing where. You know, when you're building at scale, you start to see there's a whole testing protocol things go through. But even after that, it's software. Let's be honest. There's always bugs to certain things. Even after that, you have a level of testing that within at 630 in the morning Eastern time, I'm getting phone calls that things are, you know, something's wrong with something. Whereas, you know, if it's a much smaller scale, you can start to get things out way longer before you catch it.
0: Your feedback loop isn't as tight. Therefore... You're not you're you're not being notified as uh as quickly or as as loudly as, as some people are right yeah
2: yeah. yeah yeah well they just blame it on Dave Dave's an idiot he created this thing He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, we'll just fix it in the field this they're like no we're paying for that software it better work and yeah. you know, that's one of the things we like about it heck yeah
1: man heck yeah but I mean I I think that's another kind of push to what you guys are saying like we're I mean I don't know we're, we have to make that constant loop of communication, right? We have to make sure it works, but dude, I'm just, like I said, I'm excited about this, um, about the the communication, the bridging the gap between the, the field and the designers and and of course, you know we talked about BIM 360 a little bit there, but being able to update the drawings as this drawing updates, it's able to provide a spool right to the field, you know. And we have these drawings, these documents, as they're version controlled, right? As they're updated and version controlled, they're available for anyone out there. And, and another thing I've kind of wanted to bring up was this common data environment, right? And and the transitioning of data through these environments, we're starting to see a lot of, well, translation. Right. I mean, that's what we really need is 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 translation of this data and making sure, again, that it um, it, it, it can be readable, as you're kind of saying there from the designer all the way down to the fabrication. And we kind of need or we get what we need. Right. We, we have that communication and we have that constant like deliverable Not Now, I'm going to give you this and I think it's what you need. But really, I need you to work on this more because I broke it this morning. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, dude, I broke it. I don't know what exactly I did. <laughs> here it is. Fix it for me.
0: Well, maybe this is a good question to, to wrap up on here. Uh, been going about an hour now. Um, just curious. So thinking about the guys in the field, thinking about um, getting those 630 in the morning calls, and then thinking about future releases as well. What is your f- feedback loop like? Is there a formal process where they're, a, you know, complaining about stuff. How are you guys supporting and handling that? And then B, you know, how are you guys, um, you know, working with existing users to build out new tools and features and next iterations?
2: That's a, that's a great point and, and one that I completely glossed over in, in the buy it, don't build it uh, soapbox I was on. Uh, but the, uh, the, we have a whole customer success side and the first thing i'll say to you is all of our solutions have a live chat widget that you can reach out and uh, literally speak to our developers who built that solution in real time uh, anytime and um, that's a powerful thing because if you have an issue and you're able to talk to the guy who built it you can actually go fix it pretty damn fast too and and that's one piece of it the other piece is on the customer success side you know we're we have a a customer advisory board where uh, we've built out and have our, our, some of the largest customers we have, but also some of the smaller ones so that we have a a full range of opinions and scope of how they do things. And we get, you know, uh, about every other week, a meeting put together with them to go through what is it that we currently have, how they would like to see it, uh, improved in, in any way, shape or form. What's their wish list items. And then, uh, we give them a little bit of insight into the things that are coming and and we get with them to get feedback about here's the user interface and we'll have a mock up for them. And what do you think about this? Is this the right you way? Know, would you put this button here or there? Where would you put it? And and we sort of have those types of relationships with our customers to make sure that when it comes out, two things happen. Number one, it works really, really well because we've we've got a lot of eyes on it. But number two, the people who have had influence into that conversation feel like, hey, they built that for me. And like, that's that's my thing right there. You see that? That's me. And that's a powerful thing. People want that. People want to have ownership over the things they use. And I think it's important because it's also a level of familiarity with this with the tool and the solution that becomes comfortable over time.
1: Yeah, that's what I was really going to push on there, too. If you can if you can take feedback from the individual users and use that to build the platform that they're going to use, it actually takes the learning curve down. Right. I mean, a lot of times you find with implementation, it's hard. Uh, Software implementation is hard because your end users will either say, "Okay, this is too much outside of the workflow that I'm used to or I'm just not I'm not going to do this. You know, and sometimes you will get a lot of people that will adopt it and they'll just learn their way through. And even then you have issues with, you know, knowing certain picks and clicks, where things are, where they aren't. If you can make it familiar, like I, I actually I do this a lot with my Bluebeam builds, right? Even with Revit, if I'm going to give them like one thing I've done recently is um, they had a a takeoff software, right? They were using a takeoff software and connecting it into their kind of um, accounting platform. And they said, you know, we're really nervous about getting into something like Bluebeam because we don't. You know, I don't want my my users to have to try and relearn this software, and it's going to take us a, a few weeks to a couple of months to try and get them comfortable in this, right? Be able to navigate. And some of my users are saying that they've downloaded a trial, they get in it, and it's a little overwhelming, right? If you can have that communication from the get-go, if you can say, okay, this is what we're looking at, and and as I said here, I recently turned over. Um, a profile recently. And what I did was I I literally looked at their, you know, the previous platform that they were using and tried to mimic it in the sense of when the users get in. Yeah, there may be a little bit different things here and there, but they're used to kind of, oh, I can go here for this and I can go here for that. And it makes them want to implement it a little bit faster. And it gives them that level of familiarity, right? That you're talking about that comfortable, they're, they're kind of comfortable getting into it instead of Ah oh, man this is different. I want to push against it because it's just it seems like too much. And and Joe and I you and I were talking about this last week when 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 you're talking about making software for anyone it has to be you know easily navigable. It does have to be easily navigable and 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 then at the same time it has to do what they need it to do. Right. So having that communication with the users, with the end users, with the managers, everybody in that whole process to design them an interface that is specific to them, dude, that's hugely beneficial. I mean, it cuts down on learning curves, like I said, implementation time, implement- implementation costs. It's it's big. It really is.
2: Yeah, I, I don't mean... Think- Go oh,
1: sorry. I was just thinking, I, I don't think a lot of people think about that when they're getting into, you know, new softwares, when they're when they're they're kind of adopting these new processes, these new workflows. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, honestly though, that is I, I want to kind of say 5050 there because sometimes that's why people don't get into new software and develop new processes because of the learning curve, because of of the the pushback that they get from the users, right?
2: I'll tell you if you want any example of of how important user experience and user interface is, look at Apple. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of people there. You, it is very polarizing. User experience. You either love Apple or you don't. Android. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There you Apple. go. I'll tell you right now. I I am a, I'm an iOS user on my iPad and my phone. I got a yep, PC yep. that I use every day. Erin yeah. Bloom, my director of customer success, uh, she started her career in marketing. And so she is a diehard Mac user to the point where a couple of weeks ago, I told her half jokingly that I was going to switch her to a PC. I had, we had an extra one here. I had my guy starting to set it up. The girl almost quit. She almost <laughs> quit on me because she wanted a Mac. And that just goes to show you, you can you can build loyalty and uh, almost like a cult following based on user interface. just purely user interface. And, um, in construction, it's even more important to have user interface as one of your core pillars, because let's face it, our industry, myself, us, we've never been super great at technology. And in order to adopt in a lot of cases, what is super advanced technology, it's gotta be really, really easy to use. And, uh, if you can build that level of comfort like you're talking about, David, with users by having them involved in the process from day one, uh, you're going to build a loyalty and for us, hopefully, a cult following of, of what we do.
1: Yep, yep. I mean, a lot of times if you can give the users that um, kind of comfortable kind of navigation, that comfortability with, with the interface in general, they don't need to leave you. You know, what Joey and I have figured out, I mean, I know this is kind of giving everybody a, a – a, uh,
2: don't Overview of what
1: we do. No, 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 no. What I was going to say is <laughs> with with resellers, right, we're resellers. And a lot of times what you figure out, even in general, without being a reseller, it's relationships, the relationships that you have with with your clients, the people that you you know associate with, that can go a long way. And if you can set up that relationship to where let's say you know we know we can we have an open communication you know bridge where we can talk and 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 if you can develop a software feedback loop a feedback loop thank you if you have that nice feedback loop and you can develop the software these workflows to the users they don't need to leave you. Well you build
0: ownership too, right? That's the number one thing. Like we work with you mentioned Rob earlier Rob Yadbaugh he builds a lot of our internal tools for us for for customers and We work with customers, Rob builds them to them. And they're lifelong users of that tool now. Like it's, you know,
1: as long as you're customizing it to the user experience, they don't want to leave you. Right. I mean, it's it's only when you try to complicate things too much, you try to make things to where they're too powerful. I get it. Okay, we need powerful solutions. But if you make it to the point of where it's
2: overwhelming
1: to anyone who's going to get into it, they're not going to use it.
2: That's why I was talking about the art of Apple. I mean, Apple has some amazingly powerful things in their OS's, all of them. Oh, yeah. It doesn't feel that. I'm about, way. Get the I'm,
1: use, I'm about to get the iPhone 12 just because it has lidar. Like, lidar,
2: it, I mean, Yes. I was on JB Knowledge's content crew a couple weeks ago, and we talked about that as uh, as a as a part of the release for iOS or for um, iPhone 12. I guess 12. it is.
1: Yeah, 12, yeah. dude. Yep, yep. What's I
2: mean, what uh, it gonna be like in 10 years? What are they gonna do? Is it gonna be iPhone I 36? No, like, right. What, what like are going 36, you know? and it just takes a picture <laughs> of somebody
1: and automatically creates a 3D model. What's that?
0: chip you put on your neck man yeah.
2: but i'm saying are they ever going to rename it is it just going to be the iphone uh t- t- you know 2020's iphone version i don't know anyway uh, yeah. uh, they gotta
0: they gotta do like uh, samsung and, and uh, uh, or i guess no no yeah i guess samsung's still in the same boat they're naming everything you know the galaxy note galaxy 20, 12 yeah all that stuff i was thinking
2: of android you know naming it raspberry and yeah. apple and whatever they're naming but apple's yeah. like animals or something right that's
0: our OS's, but anyway. Yeah, <laughs> well, you guys are doing it right, right? You're building out not just the, a great feedback loop, but you're building uh, one a clean UI. You're letting them stay in Revit for the people that are actually doing the design work and creating spools. But at the other time, the other side of that, your support mechanism, which you just said earlier, you're supporting a hundred customers currently, right? Something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, untold numbers of seats there. Um, but on top of that, that you it. have a live support mechanism for them to reach out. I you know, I'd like to talk to you in, you know, 5 years when you've got 10,000 customers and I still, um, uh, still have it. I still have it. I love it, man. That's that's good commitment. That's how you build brand loyalty and that's um I, you know, well, I mean, that you're doing dude, it right. Look at
1: the look at the newest release of Revit 2021, right? When you when you install Revit 2021, they ask you, what do you do? What is your job? So they can start customizing the interface for you. Right. I mean, Autodesk has already recognized. That's a level of importance when you're when you're thinking about someone who has an architectural kind of draftsman position. That's what they want to see. They don't care about the systems tab. They don't care about the structure. They don't care about certain things within this program. Right. And if you can start customizing the interface to the user, to the individual user. It helps with adoption, implementation, and and just in in, in terms of an overall relationship. They want to keep using you. It's easy. It's it's comfortable. Yeah. Right? It
0: cleaned up the UI, made it more personal.
1: Exactly. Exactly, dude. I mean, I think that's that's something throughout our whole like software industry in, in general is if you can customize this to the users and at, to the end not just the individual users, but let's say a company to workflows to processes, whatever it is, whatever buzzwords you want to use there we're really individualizing that system for them and at that point in time they they shouldn't have a reason unless that solution stops working unless it becomes too complex you know anything like that they shouldn't have a reason to move on when it when it makes a you know point a meet at point b and it, everything transitions smoothly and nobody is complaining about i can't find this i can't find that you know this isn't working correctly everything's good to go
2: Absolutely. I couldn't have said it
0: better myself. You you did (laughs) earlier, man. (laughs) No, uh, no, thank you, though, man. Everything you've said on this on this episode has been great. You have been very um, seriously. uh, Yeah, you've been very. I don't know how to say it, man. I'm blanking on words here. Everything you've said has not only been knowledgeable, but you've said it in such an elegant way that it's hard for anybody to ever refute what you're saying. (laughs) Um, so <laughs> I, think I don't that's know about probably that. why you've got good, a, good adoption where you're at, man. That's, that's I perfect. appreciate that.
1: that yeah, man. Want- I'm just, I'm thankful for having you on. And, you know, of, of yeah. course, Joey and I are, are always trying to, um, well, just, just supply our users with knowledge. That's what we're trying to do, right? Share knowledge, share these workflows, share things we see that are in our industries that maybe some people don't have, um. Yeah, right? We, Joey, and, Joey and I have, have done these episodes where your introduction to BIM, right? If you don't know what BIM is, here's how to get into it. And I think this is also another one of those transition points as you're getting into BIM and the ways to adopt it and, and translate this information. It's another-
0: Bridge the
1: thing. gap. Bridge uh, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, dude. Bridging where you're at, it. right? You've yeah. got Revit, yeah. you've got Blue King, you've got whatever software implemented. Now what do you do with it, right?
2: You've got a- yeah. Kicks out of the field. This how do you connect? How do you connect the workflows? And, yeah, man. And I think that again, going back to one of the things you said, it's partially integrations, but it's also also partially a workflow issue. And uh, but no, I, I again, guys, I, I really appreciate you having me on. It's an honor and pleasure. And you know, I, I'll look forward to the next one. I, next time, I'm bringing two beers though, because one only lasted me for. <laughs> Dude, I know. Of wow. I
1: know. I drank. Uh, I was going to tell you guys, by the way, if you were wondering, I. Personally prefer sheep dog over
2: Rams Point. (laughs) I've got it. Sheep "Eh." sheep point Rams Dog. Got it. (laughs) Yeah, dude. No, I'm
1: doing pretty good here. Thanks, guys, again. And uh, I look forward to having you on again, dude.
2: Cheers. Ah, My pleasure. Anytime. Cheers. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.